let's clap at five. Cool. Welcome to the Social Kitty Horse Recap Podcast. What the fuck? <laughs> I also said Kingdom Hearts Recap Podcast. You sure did. Interstitial like Kingdom Hearts Recap Podcast. Now, like adults, we can discuss who wants to do the intro. <laughs> <laughs> Interstitial, a Kingdom Hearts-inspired actual play podcast that is not going to be an actual play because this is the post-mortem episode where we're going to answer questions that were sent in by listeners. I'm Wheels, and I use they and them pronouns, and I'm also joined by Riley. I'm Riley, and I use he, they pronouns. Lastly, I am joined by Joe. How are you, Joe? I'm great. My name's Joe. I use any and all pronouns. (laughs) Who gives a shit how Riley is today? (laughs) I know, but it's just when I introduce you specifically, I say, how are you, Joe? Because that's what I always do. I've got it memorized. So I'm not, yeah. a, I like can't say joined by Joe without saying, it, how yeah. are you, Joe? They're just yeah. like biting their like bottom lip. Like, can't say it. I can't yeah. say it. I can't do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've, we've done more of that show than anything. I, w- I don't want to say any other show because you've done other podcasts. That's true. For me, that is the show I've done the most of. Uh, anyways. Yeah. This is the postmortem. We mm-hmm. did it. This is it. We did interstitial. Mm-hmm. We let we asked people for questions. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we're now going to answer some of those questions. Do we want to start off with like I know we wanted to like do we have questions for each other or should we save that till after we do? I f- yeah, I figure we I figure we see what's covered by the listener questions and then see if there's anything we still want to ask each other about at the end. Yeah. Oh fucking yeah. And then if you have a monologue prepared. <laughs> I don't. Oh, I did prepare a monologue. Oh, well. No, I did not prepare a monologue. So you're a liar. I'm a liar. Alas, poor Yorick. <laughs> I knew him. Horatio. Uh, let's get into this A man of one. infinite jest. <laughs> Such a good man. Hamlet. <laughs> Hamlet fucking rips, y'all. Uh, that's the first question. Does Hamlet rip? Yes, it does. Thank you, dear listener. How oh, hard does fellow, Hamlet go? It's a go. fellow of in, infinite jest. I fucked it up. It's fine. Hamlet is good. That's not um. That's not <laughs> much to do about nothing. You can't say Hamlet because I keep thinking, look out, Hamlet! Hamlet! <laughs> behind you! I don't know what you're referencing, but you sound like you're having a great time. I am. I'm sorry. Someone will it's, laugh. It's okay. Someone. I hope someone will laugh. Uh, it could be you, but... <laughs> Uh, let's answer a goddamn question. Silent Ferrets of the Gotta Memorize Discord asks, does this, being a postmortem, mean Interstitial Season 3 won't be a thing? Uh, who wants Yes. That? Yeah, Interstitial's, <laughs> this is it. This, this is, this is it. This House is us. Mi- House of Miss Prime voice. Yes. <laughs> Interstitial as an a- actual play podcast done by this network is done after this. We've told the stories we want to tell. We, like, we like the stories we told, and, you know, 
sometimes things come to an end, and that's good. Concluded stories, baby. I never would have guessed that Riley was the one giving a nuanced answer, and Wheels and I were like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Very surprising. When Joe... So, season one... Both seasons are are something I'm very, very proud of. Both Mm. seasons also were very taxing to create in their own ways for me very different ways um season one we produced at a time where i was very busy so to be editing half because joe you and i traded off half and half on edits basically in that first season you did a little bit more than me um but i ended up like kind of like finishing some stuff so it's kind of weird it it happens you can say and i did all the processing so it it was it was mm-hmm. like maybe an inefficient way of doing it, but it, like was, it, it felt was, like yeah, it made it, sense. It was, it was definitely inefficient, and like uh, when I was finishing stuff up, I ended up like putting a time constraint around the Kickstarter for the game. So yeah. I ended up just kind of working on a, on a bad crunch um, <laughs> for the last like couple days before it came out. Um, but I ended up like uh, I didn't do I, I did one of the songs in the in the first uh, season, but uh Hazel did uh, the rest of them, but I was like suggesting them parts to do and then lining it up after they did it. So it's like a lot of weird moving parts. I um so all that to say season one was a, a lot of work in some ways doing the season structure is less taxing and in some ways it's more taxing. It's a trade off. And so when Joe approached me and asked if I wanted to be the GM for the following season for season two, I said, yes, if you're okay with it being the last one that I do, um, because I just knew my own limitations. I knew how much Mm -hmm. podcast work I wanted to have. And I knew that this was the show that I could um, step away from the easiest. I think this show, I'm sorry if I'm cutting you off. Uh, I just, this show is so weird because it was a, a Patreon bonus thing <laughs> mm-hmm. that neither not, like neither of us expected it to be instantaneously funded, uh, but it was. It was yeah. we we set a goal, and in less than twenty four hours, people hit it, uh, which I guess is the interstitial curse or blessing, depending <laughs> on your point of view. And I remember like that, like that day when we were, I was watching it go up and I was like, man, I want to do this fucking thing. And I was just like, all right, uh, well, how much does it, 20 more? Boom. $21. Please let me yeah. do the thing. Yeah. <laughs> and like, we haven't done our next Patreon bonus still because we're very busy now. Uh, but at the time, yeah, it was like this exciting thing. And, and like the, the game was about to come out. Everything was just kind of exciting and you get c- sort of caught up in that and, uh, at least for me, I very much did not think about my limitations in producing that uh, first season. But then, like, people wanted us to keep going, and we kept going. And it's kind of just like, we could also stop it if we there, like. <laughs> yeah, there's like a there's also a, a really stark difference, I think, between the first between the first season and the second. In that for, the first season reasons. is really is really like a love letter to Kingdom Hearts, and like it's. It is like the nice form of fan service. It's like, hey, yeah. we all like this thing. Let's let's tell tell a story with this vocabulary. Uh, and then since season one brought in an audience that included people that didn't like Kingdom Hearts and just wanted to listen to us play an actual play, I wanted season two to be uh, something that could appeal to those people. And then I felt that I think a lot of us wanted a season two that had absolutely, Hearts. yeah, probably probably each for our own different reasons. <laughs> So anyway, I I felt that like 
I owed to some extent, like I, there was a season that I wanted to tell in the form of season two, um, or I wanted us to tell together rather. But then I knew that like after that and after I had like done that for that audience that I probably wouldn't want to keep doing more just because of the work that's involved. Uh, so that's why I said I wouldn't do it unless I would only do it if it was the last season I was on. And then you immediately said, yeah, I don't know if we'll do it more than two seasons anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, like um, it, it is a lot of work and it's it's satisfying work. I very much enjoy this show. But uh, it pretty much was like, I don't want to do this show without wheels. And, I, and I'm certainly not going to pressure wheels to do more. <laughs> yeah. So I guess it's over. And then season two is its own kind of hard work because GMing is hard work. For yeah. me, at least. It's it's draining work for me. And you put in so much into this mm-hmm. season. You know what I mean? Like, I think there's a very distinct, like, wheels varnish on this season that would not be would not be possible to recreate or even mimic for anyone else. You know what Thanks. I mean? Because you, you have such a distinct fucking style, and it brings such a high fucking quality and also, like, a thought on it. I love it. Working with the two of you on this is so fucking good. You I too, Riley. Do it any other way. Oh, season one has that has that Riley varnish. <laughs> the Riley varnish of fuck, fuck, fuck of falling down the stairs while not spilling your coffee. Don't sell yourself short. Season one no, no, no. is. I, run I continue to be impressed by season one, but like, yeah, I'm not saying that as a disservice to myself. I think like falling down the stairs and not spilling your coffee like says like the we're moving, we're fucking going Absolutely. and tumbling yeah. forward. But like, look, we landed, we're good. I, I think I think the as as someone who didn't GM either of those two seasons, I, I and still played in them. Uh, I, I I find they contrast each other really really well. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many of those decisions were intentional when we did season two, but uh, after the fact, I think they are. Uh, a fascinating duology. Also, the one shots exist, but you know. the one shots exist, and I think are very good. Like I like them. Like they're obviously like they don't have the same level of varnish that the either the the main seasons do. But they're like I mean, I wouldn't by definition they're not as cohesive. Yeah, but yeah, it's a good like you know we're a show with two point five seasons, and I think that point five is important. Yeah, I think I think um, season two is better for us doing the one shots absolutely Mm -hmm. yeah because there's there was a lot of uh trial and error involved yeah yeah we wanted to expand those yeah and those in the production of those and i'm i'm mostly happy with how they came out yeah and again all this to say yeah no season three (laughs) yeah 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 we're just kind of waxing poetic about interstitial as a whole now and the reason you know we all set our reasons but to sum it up it's no season three because we don't want to make it and yeah. mm-hmm. if we don't want to it's not going to be good mm-hmm. yeah this is from sean uh who asks on patreon what were your two favorite moments of the course of the series can be a moment from each season if that makes it easier does anyone have anything for themselves because i am i my brain is just like oh fuck there's so many things the the pure the pure joy of the first time we got Lark seeing the Hedgehog fan art uh-huh. <laughs> of seeing like that render and going, oh hell fucking yeah. That was like, that was a powerful thing indeed. Th- that's truly blessed. And then like uh my favorite moment of uh season two is, is this <laughs> this is real dumb, but every time Atticus and John go, 
Ah! <laughs> I, thought, I thought you would say that, yeah. It's really funny. I love consistent jokes. Yeah. My favorite moment in season one uh, is probably in the Lost World, where Edith is like sitting and having the conversation with Sawyer on the other side of the tree, and you just see the fallout of Edith losing um, Roxanne uh, mm -hmm. with this just talking about it with this stranger on this beach that I know. So in the forest by this beach that I know so well from media, <laughs> um, there's something beautiful about that sequence. Um, and then for season two, I would probably have to pick God. There's so many. I'm really proud of that season, but I would, uh, I think it's gotta be the moment where uh, just like, there are moments that hit me harder and more emotionally or thematically important to me. But like, if there's one moment that's like super interstitial, it's I didn't even intend for it to be funny, but it's when Sans meets Save State Sans and Save State Sans just says something's weird. And then everyone just bursts out laughing and we decide oh. to end the episode there. Like, was, I had no idea oh, that I was telling a joke until you all laughed at it. Uh, I, I, and that was we really just, funny. We were just as a group, I think, so tense that it just the the candidness yeah, yeah. caught us all off guard. And yeah. we we're just like, fuck, we're done. We're done. And this the is the end of the day. You fucking nailed the look at Sans. Yeah, that too. <laughs> <laughs> when you mentioned the Lost World. Whenever I think of the Lost World, I imagine it in like that kind of like it's a nighttime TV show thing where it's like all dark, everything's like blue lit for some reason. Yeah. Like and then like to have like these fucking cartoon characters that are bursts of color in there, like is always just very evocative imagery in my head. I definitely know my season one is the rush of getting to tell Jory, you have the deck of cards, use them. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and them responding to that. So for season two, though, I don't, I don't know. It's, there's, there's so many fucking things about it that I enjoyed like, quite a bit. But like, probably like, something from the bottle episode, I think. Whether, what, it's, it's either, it's either yeah. Atticus and John, or it's Sans and John. Mm -hmm. God. Season two is so fucking good. God season, damn season two is really good. But... <laughs> Also, like, there's there's some stuff in the one shots that I really like. Um, yeah. like y'all y'all in uh, the one that I ran, you like people yes. pe people compliment that one shot that I did in Twin Peaks, but I'm just like, I ran two players and they just kind of handed me an emotional interaction. <laughs> I didn't I <laughs> I gave them a a, a a sandbox. The ending of that episode is so fucking good it makes me yeah, so sad i really like, really is we went for the cheap pot pop with a uh, fucking uh don't think twice in there but it works so mm -hmm. well uh, uh if i hadn't if i hadn't gm season two uh like i think at the time that we recorded that we knew that i was gming season two so i was fine playing that character but like i wouldn't have played that character in a one shot otherwise because that was the character because bright eyes is the character i was going to play had i been a player <laughs> in season two. Oh, you're answering you're answering someone else's question from far oh, really? down the list yeah um <laughs> that's fucking sick hell yeah madeline asked on patreon uh, wheels if you were to play a character huh. in, in the world of this season that's fun um as if like you could clone yourself who would you play and uh yeah like, bright you, eyes you, bright eyes yeah. uh yeah no I, the, like there's something alluring to me about a character that exists already but is so ill-defined like that character is just like 
a weird image that shows up in one music video and I can kind of make it I can kind of make that character my own while also pulling on pretty established strings a little bit. And that was mm-hmm. like an experiment I was excited about. So I'm and I am satisfied with the level of experimentation I got to do it with in the one shot. But um, I wouldn't have done that if I wasn't running season two because I would have just played Bright Eyes. What a, there's there's so many things that were like, oh, yeah, this was our original idea for season two. And I'm just like trying to imagine what they would have been like sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. I don't I think there's a question yeah. later on about other characters we could have played. So I'll save it. But I have here a list of questions about GMing. Uh, all right, let's all, go. All, That's all, all three group. of us and and jury, baby. <laughs> <laughs> all grouped together. Uh, Millie uh, Didgery on Twitter asks, when GMing. What was a moment where a player completely blindsided you and wound up changing the entire course of the story? Uh, when you used Prophesize at the end well, of season one. That, that move's kind of designed to do that, though. Yeah, but it's sick. It it's was also sick all the fucking yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. The most, I, I think about that regularly as the most tense situation I've ever been in. <laughs> I'm just like sitting there like, I don't know when to do it. I don't know when to do it. Everyone's getting mad at me. <laughs> For me, it's... For me, it's probably pointedly obvious that it's the moment where Joe suggests that is it I, always that... me. <laughs> well, I mean, in this season, it sure fucking is because You're... it's when you suggested that the remnant of that the remnant world was interstitial season one, and that became identity. Yeah. I wanna um, can can I talk about that decision? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because yes. uh, the reason I made it, the reason. You uh, there was like a week between the episode before that and that one, so I spent a week thinking, oh, I wonder what world if Atticus gets attacked, what world would they see? I think their world is you know kind of boring because the the listener won't know it. And then I was like thinking of like just some of my favorite media I could I could do as subtle nods. But then and I was, by by when if Atticus were attacked, you mean that the Vince McMahon clouds like the fart yes, clouds that they the they make <laughs> well, you they like make you have a vision of. Uh, a, a digesting world and that yeah. is a, a psychologically damaging experience so you were just brainstorming like oh what cool thing can i suggest if atticus yeah. takes damage in that way and mm-hmm. then what was proposed to you was very different yeah uh so so yeah i i spent a week thinking about that and um logan so when logan did the bullshit with house of miss prime they like <laughs> were like hey i'm gonna like do some shit to break the rules of this game so I can, like, I'm going to leave this world so I can use this move again. And they did all the House of Miss stuff. They described it to me later as, like, they really wanted to do it because it was something they could only do in this game. Uh, and yeah. thinking about that sentiment, I was like, what's the most that shit I could pull mm-hmm. um, in, you know, in the next episode, which was uh, if I saw, if a fart cloud got me, what would I see? Uh, so I thought about season one. It just so happened that, you know, I didn't, get a chance to use it and then you gave us yeah this last one talking to us and i was just like well wait a minute <laughs> and then uh, it just, it, the, the pieces just kind of fell together for the rest of the season but God. yeah and the way that that changed things is that so two things one i had intended season two in some ways to be a response to season one in that seasons one season one's ending is nice it wraps itself up in a way that i really enjoy and yet because we trade on that kingdom hearts vocabulary in this it's like the story we told is hindered in that it can only tell a story that kingdom hearts like stories can tell Mm -hmm. um it it doesn't it, it says nice things about some issues but it 
lacks complexity about some, like there's some nuances about some issues. And I mm-hmm. kind of wanted to address those by doing another season that didn't have Kingdom Hearts and we can readdr- readdress some themes, which is like why I had the authority there as like kind of a reverse, like kind of like the sentiment of season one spoiling itself and like uh sort of being a corrupted version of the nice thing that season one is yeah um that was kind of what the authority were supposed to represent but then the second you did that i was like okay i need to really double down on this and make the ending of season two really a response to what season one or at least set it Mm -hmm. up so that you all can make the ending of season two a response to season one because Mm -hmm. i was like okay if that's what they're interested in i can deliver that and we can like have an ending that really is a commentary on what we've already done and like a capstone on the whole series as opposed to just an ending to this season. Yeah, and and I love how that happened uh in when like other parts of the authority created themes about how you can't just do the same shit over and over again. Um like like Riley makes a joke about it being or I think Bruce Wayne specifically about making some joke about it being a metaphor for for reboot culture and it's 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 not that simple, but I do think there is an aspect of it because the, the interstitial being about crossovers and different pieces of media, we end up talking about media consumption um, in, in, in the themes and the, in the decisions we make. And I think the, the way that various different readings of, of themes tie together in season two is just something I really, really am, am happy with after the fact. Me too. And while we're mentioning uh, things that like constantly surprised us, and like vaguely mentioning that like fucking every scene with Catwoman and Bruce Wayne kills it it's so goddamn good I had every fun time in all those scenes <laughs> yeah. oh it's so good every time oh did you know that i don't know if we've ever talked about this i before season 2 so i know i think we talked about that the all the worlds in season 2 were ones with the exception of the end of the world at the very beginning of season 2 with the exception of that all of the worlds are ones that were suggested by the players yeah there's four of them I also asked everybody, hey, if there's a character or a plot line you want in this season, let me know and I'll work it in. And everybody said, nope, just, you know, let's we'll just, you know, whatever comes up naturally. Like no one had like specific Mm -hmm. things they wanted me to weave in, with the exception that Caitlin said, I have one requirement. Nor did Batman. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And I was like, I thought to myself, like, I can't do Norded because I'm not actually doing Kingdom Hearts this time, but I can give you the next best thing. I don't think I don't think anything surprised me the one time I GM'd. I I think I spent a lot of it like on the edge of my seat, like what the fuck are you people gonna do? But not like <laughs> not like it wasn't like I was expecting one thing and I got another thing. It was just like it just kinda I I kinda just left the sandbox open for for, for you two to do it, which is I don't know, a decision. It worked in that case, but because um, I was just like, is 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 Riley gonna be decent by the end of this? And no, <laughs> no, they didn't. No, Caitlyn voice don't need redemption arcs. Calamon uh-huh. does not get a redemption. And arc. that and that was before even you uh mm-hmm. you, you had those conversations with Caitlyn too. So yeah, our next question from Magic Hijinks on Twitter: How did GMing the game feel compared to playing it, and vice versa? So more, more stressful. <laughs> more stressful. <laughs> I only did it once, but still. Um, this was my first time ever getting to play like in like long form and like I've gotten to play before in like small bursts, but never really to this extent, which has been really, really cool. Um, I liked it because I got to like push the game in dumb ways with like how I would pick moves and shit. Like 
I got to like min max a thing and be like, all right, I want to like, I don't want to fail. I just want Deal to twelve succeed. damage or whatever it was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I get to do a big dumb attack, and like, it's okay to like push something in more of a direction when you're gming. When you're when you're a player, you really shouldn't hyper fixate on. I just want to do this one thing, and everyone please else is like, "Please let me throw ideas. the house." Please. <laughs> please let me throw the house. Yes, exactly. I like got way too hyper fixated on that. But like as a GM, it's easier to hyper fixate and like have it like make sense. But as a player, like is not. <laughs> I think it depends. I think it depends on the group in terms of just mm-hmm. like how much you want to push a, a, like people any which way at the you know. Every, different GM styles, different playing styles mm-hmm. of uh, collaborative storytelling or, or game playing, whether it's pe- every, people play games in different ways. Not everything's an AP. <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel that there are ways in like this game is not different than others in this sense um, mm-hmm. than other games with similar structures. Like I would answer, I guess what I'm saying is I would answer this question exactly the same on this show as I would on VRE. You know what I mean? Which is like, Running interstitial doesn't feel different than running a similar game in comparison to being a player of it. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's just that the experience of being a GM feels different than being a player in that in any case, if I'm GMing, it feels a bit more of a creative outlet because you have just that little bit more creative control over what the setting is, what the uh, you have a little more pull on tone um, and you have a lot more pull on imagery. And then it's also a lot more exhausting because you're doing that much more work. Uh, so, yeah, I guess that's my answer to it, that it's slightly more creatively fulfilling and slightly more exhausting to GM. But other than that, uh, I wouldn't. Yeah, it's it's a that's, similar experience. That's just games, baby. Yeah. Yeah. Just games, baby. Dark Rising 1993 asks from the Got It Memorized Discord. I was wondering if you had any advice on how to approach starting DMing for the first time in a campaign. How did you learn the basics of how to DM? How much uh would you say uh would be planning ahead i.e how wheels plan the authority being a thing ahead of time i always answer the same way and i don't give great advice on this which is don't plan (laughs) like i like running along with the players is like how i do it and i think you can tell on how like kind of like fragmented and like not as fluid my the games that i run tend to be they tend to like follow what the player wants which is cool but like I lose some of the uh, deeper, like, introspection on it. Yeah, the plotting. But, like, it's a fun experience. That's how I run games, and I like to run them. I learned that after, you know, like, basically making this game, I learned how to do that. Because before that, I had, like, you know, like, plotting sheets and shit just listed tons of information online and, like... I'd plan things out and I'd be a mustache twirling GM. would be like, ah, ha, ha, I have something hidden around the corner. And like, I don't do that anymore. Don't be that person. Now you come up with what's around the corner the last possible second. Yes, exactly. I oh, don't know you, what's around that fucking You did corner. a bad roll. Let me think of something bad. Uh. <laughs> I, uh, for, I'm a little different. My general GMing philosophy is twofold. One, generally know the people in your world the characters in your world and what they want and generally know the themes that you are interested in that you know your players are also interested in from having conversations with them so like talk to your players about what kind of stories they want to tell come up with a general 
couple characters or factions or something that you think would make it easy to tell those stories, um, but don't plan storylines. Just kind of make a group of characters and have them want things that make those kinds of stories happen. Like, that's why I made The Authority, is because a story with the authority and what they, how they operate and what they want is naturally going to lead towards a story that talks about the politics of like who decides what, what is acceptable and not. And it also is sort of the meta narrative of who does, who decides like what media should be created and what shouldn't. But I, but I didn't plan like plot lines about the authority. I just knew that those ideas would come up because of who they are and what they want. Um, And then the second part of the sort of twofold philosophy is, know where the next session starts so like know this know the state of the game the next time you play it and generally know who's in your world what themes you want to and what themes you want to address that's all i ever plan um and be willing to change those things be willing to change who's in your world if you haven't gotten to those people yet and be willing to change what they want if you haven't really shown that with characters yet like make those long distance things those far away things um long term i guess i should say make those things flexible um but generally know them and then know very know decently well what the next session looks like and that's all i ever do now that you bring that up that also fuck nope completely lost it never mind (laughs) (laughs) that's not a joke i lost it (laughs) I, I, i planned about half of my one shot not i shouldn't say planned i should say like I knew how I was going to start it. I yeah. knew after y'all muddled for a bit how I would move from room A to room B, and yeah. I knew who the bad guy was going to be. But that was a one-shot, which is different, too, than a campaign. I remember mm-hmm. what I was going to say. Uh, I, like, when I do make any sort of plan or, like, go, like, ah, yes, I know a set piece that I want to happen, like, and, like, oh, it requires the players to go left here. I If they go right, then, oh, what was left is right like i just mm-hmm. move the thing to the room that they want that they're in now because mm-hmm. that the, just the, works the feeling of agency yeah it's like wheels has the really good advice of like know the people who are in the world that you are in mm-hmm. and then also explaining that to if you... i would say yeah know the i would say know the players yeah know, oh, the, know, know the group yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. absolutely absolutely uh joe i think it's your turn to ask a question yeah uh butter nans asks what were some of the worlds that you had planned that never ended up being used which is more of a question of season one than season two yeah we, my answer is none <laughs> <laughs> we we season one is very much like i came to the table with like three or four like th- options so every day and then just fucking rolled the dice each time it was just like i this way like, yeah, what are, what are we in the mood way. for today, gang? Sonic? <laughs> All right. <laughs> what, what are we feeling? What, what do I feel like will work in this, this room? And really, it's just also like, what was my hyperfixation of that exact goddamn moment? Because mm-hmm. um, I'm trying to think of like where I could have... I, I know There was a long list of worlds you had like uh, pitched for season one, and I think you picked the ones that people responded to most. Because mm-hmm. uh, you had pitched like a bunch of... like. Disney. Emperor's New Groove was on there. Yeah, you had a lot of, like uh what was it? Back like not Back to the Future. Um Phil from the Future and I was like who gives a shit? Oh my god, <laughs> Phil from the Future. I, I do uh, have Phil from the Future. I, I actually do have an answer for season 2, which is that before I settled on a haunted house ghost adventures set in the world that never was. Uh, or no, uh the end of the world rather. Uh the original starting point was going to be 
the Magic the Gathering plane, Alara. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I remember your your earliest pitches. Yeah. I oh my god, I completely forgot that like the Phyrexians could have been in <laughs> season two. What the fuck? Because Alara, like Alara, would kind of fit with the authorities' whole thing as like their headquarters because Alara is a plane that was. Uh, that was once shattered into five different, uh, like five very different worlds that were then forcibly brought back together in a big cataclysm that brought everything back together. Kind of evokes some of the same ideas, but uh, at the end, I thought it was a little too complicated and was just a little much, uh, just kind of because I wanted it. And <laughs> fuck it, should have done the far plane. Far was the far plane. Oh, Final from Fantasy Final Fantasy. 10. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that's the first time I've referenced that game and you've been like, what? <laughs> Dance around some fucking light orbs. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. When GMing, this is from, uh, it, 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 it's a Zach. It me, no, Zach no, G is yeah. what it actually says now that I'm looking at it. <laughs> it Mazaga. Um, when GMing, what things did you have in your back pocket that didn't get used? I'm trying to think. I had nothing in my back pocket when I did it, so you all have fun. Yeah, I don't think I had. I don't think I wore pockets on when when I was jamming. You know what um, I mean? Like I threw whatever I could at the at the wall, whatever I th- would think of it. Trying to think. Uh, I'm more. There were like more characters I wanted in the authority before I realized that that would have complicated things too much. Like having the authority just be basically just uh, Oprah and Bruce Wayne as the main characters in the authority worked fine. Like, and then you just kind of show a bunch of people in the background. You show like Alfie's and undying. Like, um, that was enough. I didn't need to put Elmo in there. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think I mentioned on the show that that was a character that I didn't put in. Uh, I don't know if it got cut or not, but I, I definitely know you've so said that before. Elmo, El Roker, uh, and, um, El Roker would have been fine. Doctor and Dr. Phil would have all been in the authority. Dr. Phil. Specifically. ASMR, Dr. Phil. Uh, We need to move on. Wheels, please. Uh, Jace Adax on Twitter asks, what is it like to prep an adventure in a world that already has a canon? For me, significantly easier because I know what's happening in the movie that happens. Yeah, Yeah, it's a simple answer. It's basically the same for me. It's like there's already so many touch points I can... Because I can pull from stories that I wish those media, those pieces of media told within themselves. Or like yeah. I can like fan fiction. I can shore up some of the faults. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, I think I know we definitely did that in season one because there was like you earlier referenced. It was like a kind of a love letter to that series. But I think we each kind of focused on what we liked about the series. Exemplified that. And then like I think season two is like in a lot of places critical of the the media it was kind of the opposite of instead of like here's the things i really like it's like here's the things that are like whack about batman <laughs> is there anything that we were like it's just good uh no i don't think so i think interstitial is critical of everything yeah <laughs> interstitial while being like a yeah fuck it do as you well, want hell yeah i guess yeah. we didn't have anything bad to say about 13 dead on drive it's a perfect board game yeah. <laughs> the only thing we had to say was we should live here. Yeah. <laughs> we should just uh, move in. Maybe murder being funny is bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. But that uh um, that, that uh moves us out of the out of the GMing questions. 
Uh, so Christopher on Patreon asks, one of my favorite one-shots of the Door to Darkness episodes was the Bright Eyes Kalamon story that, for me, ended open-ended, or was open-ended. Uh, are there any plans to revisit some of the worlds of the Door to Darkness episodes in the follow-up on the casts, which we've already said we're not doing any more of the show, but mm-hmm. likewise, uh, what are your favorite story beats that you would want to revisit? I I have no desire. Even if we were continuing the show, I don't have a, a much desire to revisit a lot of those mm-hmm. stories, but I'm curious. That one in particular, I would not want to revisit. I think that one ends so... Sure, sure. there are a lot of like open questions about where the characters go, but I like... Th- the open questions that there are and they're not questions yeah. that I would like to answer. Um, there are some things about the, both of the full seat. It's not like things that I would like to revisit and it's just like, I think an interesting story could be told of the continuing adventures of uh, Edith and Marsh. I, f- I feel like Chris angel definitely stops adventuring and, uh, and Nora, I feel like has reasons to stop as well, but like the fact that they like, Edith and Marsh get bequeathed Keyblades at the end of mm-hmm. season one to like see them become Keyblade Masters would maybe be interesting. And then with season two, I, like a spinoff show about the fucking uh, <laughs> about the Nexus would rule. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I like I know that my fanfic, my personal fanfiction ending of uh, or follow up to season one is uh like all right, everyone's a union leader now. <laughs> Yeah. But like that's very like only Riley thinks that's interesting. <laughs> Everyone else is like that. I don't think that fits with how things ended. And I'm yeah. like, you're right. But also, but also, what if it continued? What if things were just bad again? <laughs> what if things went on forever? Yeah. But, but then season two was like, hey, stop that. Yep. So. <laughs> season two took a hand and went uh, no. Uh, yeah. It me Zach G asks uh what was a moment when you were particularly impressed with someone else um everything caitlin did yeah everything. <laughs> also everything logan did <laughs> Those i agree two, on both counts. i swear to fucking god and we talk at length we talk at length about how like jory might be the funniest person god <laughs> on yeah season one. Every, jory, jory gave so many fucking good jokes in uh in season one and then their their gming was was really really great too um can i actually no here's my number one pick as much as like everything i just said is still true fucking chris putting the the nos in himself (laughs) in the the holiday special (laughs) that's my that's my uh that's my number one impressed Mm -hmm. moment is chris hutton I think the real th- the real moment for me is we were recording Door to Darkness. We had planned, all right, so next season is going to be Joe, Riley, and Logan. Oh, and yeah. it'll be a nice three-piece. And then we did the one-shot with Caitlin, and we are like, do we got room for another? <laughs> like, uh. And that is like the most impressed to be like, could we get this motherfucker on our goddamn show? Yeah, I think that was the last one. That was the last one we recorded, right? Was it, it the it, first it was, one? I don't think it was. I don't think it was the first one. The first one, I was the Oblivion one. Um, You're right. I think... It was either the last one. It was right before Sugar Rush. I think for me, I would the moment I would pick is the scene between Hazel and Joe, between Edith and Roxanne. When spoiler, it's for season one. Roxanne dies. <laughs> like you both made some really good role play choices in that sequence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you never I think will. We, I think we gotta. I think we gotta power through these questions quicker. Yeah. Oh. You are super right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kingdom on the Gotta Memorize Discord 
asks, what are some characters you heavily considered playing but never did? Anakin Skywalker. I was legitimately going to play Anakin in season two, and I didn't. Did you tell Wheels that before they pulled no, the Anakin shit? I don't no, think so. That's just I coincidental. That is just coincidental. I was like real close to playing Anakin. The the main one I think for me was Kiba from from Naruto, Kiba Inazuka. I was gonna play him as the familiar, but when Caitlin picked the familiar, I just nixed it and went to my my other of the two ideas I was struggling to pick between, which was Kiba and Atticus. I think I also said Gohan, right? Did I say adult Gohan? I think it was adult Gohan. You, had a, and you have an Anakin. extremely fucking long list of characters you want to play, though. Because I play this game a lot. <laughs> yeah, and like it, it would have like there. It depended on what week we started season two of who the fuck you played. So, mm-hmm. I um, I didn't do it because it would mean nothing to anyone except <laughs> like literally no one except me. <laughs> But I really did want to play a character from the Glory Hammer universe. <laughs> Glory Hammer being a power metal band that I like a lot. Uh, they, I really wanted to play the evil wizard Zargathrax, uh, yeah. Scourge of Oxen Mokti, uh, <laughs> Archfoe of the Quest Lords of Inverness. I also did want to play Zach Bagans, but mostly I really wanted to play the Eagle with evil wizard Zargathrax, but that never happened because it would have been a bad idea because no one knows what that means. But holy fuck, go listen to <laughs> at least at least space 1992 rise of the chaos wizards so that you can hear the opening narration in the distant future of the year 1992 war has returned to the galaxy uh come for the ridiculousness of that and then stay for fucking the coolest power metal you've ever heard and then stay even longer for the follow-up album I'm leaving I'm leaving all of this in and I'm leaving in you saying we need to go through this fast. <laughs> I just re- I just remembered a world from season 2 that we didn't end up going with. Oh, what is that? Oh, did you, did you I I suggested Paris Earth. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, you you suggested the the Coheed thing. Which would have been funny for like, you know, like a, a bigger part of our audience than it should be. I'll, I'll say. This is a quick one. Uh what's everyone's favorite NPC from uh Matthew Guz on Twitter? Identity. Mm-hmm. Larkseen. Ooh, that's also a very good pick. Fuck! I know that, like, David Blaine is one of my favorites, but yeah. also Merlin is so fucking funny to me. Honorable mention goes to... Uh, Crispin! <laughs> yeah, Crispin yeah, Cream. C- Crispin, Crispin deserves <laughs> to be mentioned, even if he's none of ours. <laughs> he's someone. And Crispin, Crispin and Merlin, like, need to hang out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Crispin and Merlin and Matt Hardy go on an adventure. That's the neck. That's mm-hmm. the oh, uh, fan fiction season three. I just remembered another character I never played. Uh, fucking oh shit! What's this idiot's name? Uh, Andrew Hussey. No. Uh, Riley, if I say woo woo woo, will you tell me the man's name? Zach Ryder. That's it. Woo woo woo. Oh man, yep, I, I know. Yep, the wrestler Zach Ryder. Yeah, but like, yeah, there's. <laughs> There are so many other wrestling things, and I, so I didn't. But that was that was another on my short list of like characters I'd, I'd like. To, the thing is, I know nothing about the man, so it would be uh, it, it would be probably on par with like the amount of uh, Chris Angel that is actually in Chris Angel. Yep. There's actually yep. like in terms of personality, I think I knocked it out of the park. I think <laughs> you fucking crushed it. Every time I get a Chris Angel ad, Chris Angel's the only ad I don't block immediately when it comes <laughs> up on Twitter. Which is wild, because that means you've blocked John Cena now. I did block John Cena, and it broke my fucking heart. <laughs> Riley, you want to read this next one? Twitter made me pull the trigger. 
There was some. Uh, this is from Polly Three D on Twitter. There were some lovely relationships that developed during both seasons of the show. Are there any ships that are close to your heart but never got a chance to show up on the screen? Only one hmm. showed up on screen. So two. I. What's the other one? Chris, Chris, and David Blaine. Oh, Edith and Rox, Edith and Roxanne slash Nora, and then Sans and John Cena. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think I think for me, my headcanon ending season one was a a thruple with uh Enora, <laughs> Edith, and Larxine. Um, mm-hmm. but other other than that, I I don't know if I can think of any. Chris Angel and Shadow the Hedgehog definitely dated <laughs> at some point when Chris and David were off. Yeah, they had a careless fling one night. But they're, yeah, they're in, still Sonic, in Sonic to in Sonic Tahiti. Yeah, yeah, but they they're still friendly. <laughs> They're adult. We're both adults. Shadow is surprisingly <laughs> mature. Is <laughs> ultimate I, life form. probably more mature than Chris Angel. <laughs> Co buddy on Twitter asks, "Did you have one specific moment in playing your characters where you thought, okay, this is the direction I want to take them for sure?" A uh, coward, John Cena. When I finally figured that out, like I was like really nervous, like what the fuck do I play John Cena as? And I was like making a bunch of different character playlists to be like, what is this motherfucker? And then it clicked when I was like, oh, he's just like a coward until like he they get over that. Mm-hmm. That was really great to like finally figure out what that character was because I felt like for a bit I was like just fumbling that character in my hands. When when Roxanne got protective of Edith, I figured out season one. <laughs> Fucking uh, like second session playing as Chris Angel when I dove into the darkness oh, portal. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, this is who this motherfucker is. <laughs> I'm trying to think if I had David? anything. <laughs> David, God, that exchange is so funny. I, uh... oh, Mickey Mouse showed up in season one for thirty seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh... I'm trying to think of anything for Atticus, and I think no. I think I think. When I went into here's Atticus's problems in session one could state his problems and until the end, uh, it just kind of showed itself in different ways depending on how the characters around him interacted. Like his interactions with with John, I probably couldn't have predicted, but I think he still ended up in the same place. Mm-hmm. All right, so these are the season two questions. So Taylor on Patreon uh, asked. Uh, two questions. Where did the inspiration for turning Vince's fart energy into a sentient being come from? And uh, after that, what character's arc was most surprising to you? Uh, for the first thing, um, I'm guessing Taylor is referring specifically to identity, the cloud that became identity. Um, did you think of that before I said season one? Yes, I wanted that cloud to be. My my vision originally for that character was different. They were just supposed to be an amalgamation of all of the things that were being digested at the time by Vince McMahon. And so they were kind of just this new being that was like created from what was left. Which thematically, I think, matches season one still. Basically, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's just what you came up with was a much more interesting version of that. Cool. As far as character arcs, that's surpri- that was the most surprising. Um... Kalamon for me. (laughs) Uh, I'll I'll say it once. I'll say it a thousand times. Catwoman just being a fucking pain in the ass till the end is so fucking funny. That wasn't surprising to me. I knew that Caitlin wanted to do that. Catwoman's arc is probably for me too. Like, I guess it's not surprising, but just like 
highlight the the final moment like the final moment of the show where catwoman leaves through the door whereas everyone else stays Mm -hmm. that's what season two means to me like Mm -hmm. everything that we said in season two is summed up in that moment in a really beautiful way in that like i guess i don't want to go into it because i don't want to like say my own reading of my own show i want to leave that to the audience but like Mm -hmm. so much of what that season means to me is summed up in those final moments where living an identity works for some characters, but not everybody. And the fact that Catwoman and Salem are the ones that leave uh, rules. Mm-hmm. Did, did, did you mean to give, I guess this would be a Caitlin question if they were here, but like I, the fact that Catwoman's final scene is just the end of Dark Knight Rises, but it's Catwoman instead of Bruce. <laughs> I, oh, like, I, is, I didn't even put that together. Yeah. I thought it immediately. And I, I, I don't know if Caitlin meant to do that or not. But like it's we'll have to it, ask them. Tweet at them. Truly is. CG eight R's. <laughs> CG and eight R's. Um, Joe, you got one? Or are we on to the next one? Um it, I I can't think of anything beside Kalamon. Like I uh mm-hmm. I was I was always I was like the whole time on the edge of my seat of like especially that last scene between the two of you. Um I think my my feelings on uh Kalamon deciding to not change uh Bright Eyes' memory and even Wheels being like what happened like <laughs> where are we right now and like just the energy in that that room that recording was like that decision of kalamon means about as much to me as you described uh catwoman's last scene fucking wheels voice but that's sad yeah it's <laughs> really good mm-hmm. uh becky scott fairly asks when did sancina come into existence in the recording I'm me and Logan were getting like we like we were pushing the characters towards each other. I just don't think we ever said it. There like, was a point where I was like where we were nearing the end of the season and I was like, hey, despite literally everyone on this show being queer, we don't have any queer relationships on screen yet. Is there any like is anybody feeling anything about any NPCs or any <laughs> other characters? And then you and Logan were both like, I think Sansa John Cena is a thing. And it absolutely was. Mm-hmm. Yep, we we were like building chemistry the entire season. It was extremely like a rom com of just like, oh my god, are we dating? Yeah. <laughs> like, uh. it's just very good for the two of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I really love how that progression ended up and where it like xylophone apped. <laughs> yeah, xylophone app, and I really really fucking love that they were just playing a pacifist run of Undertale together. It's really fucking uh, sweet yeah. to me. That's yeah, I, that I went very nice. I went and grabbed my switch to like record the audio of the Joy-Con snapping in and like turning on just to, like oh, just for yeah. like background folly in that scene. I don't think I don't, I don't think I ever noticed anyone comment on it, but it's just like the most satisfying. Like I have a dumb idea. <laughs> uh, that's really cute. I didn't notice that. That's fucking awesome. At Matthew Guz asks, Joe, both of your characters have memory weirdness happen. What draws you to those types of characters? Accidents. Which is not to say that accidents draws me to that, but I did not do that on purpose. I, I think it's just my play style of kind of letting the character happen as they do. Um, at least in the, in the case of like Roxanne, I, I really went in with Roxanne with a very blank slate. And I think like episode three or something someone said, oh, wait, Roxanne has an X in it. And then we all kind of yelled. Yeah. And it got cut out of the episode, and Riley ended up working it into the story. And um, I had to come up for essentially excuses on why she uh, either <laughs> hid this from everyone or didn't remember. And uh, I found the memory stuff more poignant for me with my uh, love of Roxas's arc and stuff. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it goes unsaid in the show. A lot of it is just kind of, 
I don't know how well I portrayed it in Anora's, you know, last five episodes, but I mean, if you if you like Roxas, <laughs> you can probably uh, connect <laughs> yeah. the dots. And then with with um with, with Atticus, I think I think he remembered everything and uh couldn't admit it a lot of the times, um, which uh is I, I there's something to me that I think Atticus's story being poignant without me dumping his backstory is um is something that i really like about his arc that like it's not really about where he comes from he just kind of sells that he misses what he had and i think the few times like when he when he talks about uh his his home and he talks about the people he misses i think it just kind of he just hides it and I, I don't know if there's much actual memory stuff I, the, when i said the stuff about like what he remembered in babylon what i uh, kind of intended and it didn't really go anywhere was just interacting with the fact that he was an OC. Like his world wasn't necessarily mm-hmm. a real piece of media. And and, and, and he was like poorly sketched out. Essentially. Like, yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. He was just like some words that got, you know, crossed out on a piece of notebook paper that, and, and it didn't really end up becoming a, a bigger thing with the way the authority interacted with media. Like there's a little bit of it when, um, when Obi-Wan decides to pick him, but uh, mm-hmm. it's kind of works for him. Mm-hmm. Joe, you read this next one. I do. Silent Ferrets on the God That Memorized Discord asked, I'm really curious about the choice to play Atticus. What made you decide to settle on playing Atticus? Uh, what did you get out of it? Uh, I just said some of that. Uh, my impression is that it really resonated with you as you were playing, and I'd love to hear you talk about revisiting Atticus after all that time. Uh, what have I said that I didn't just say? Um, I really liked... Uh, this And this, I think, was also fleshed out, Like uh, as I just said. like There's something really fascinating about the way that we we I treated a, a character I made up at like age ten, like they were on par with Catwoman, um, or like some, or Bruce Wayne or uh, you know any other media character. Uh, just like that was a really fun experience. Um, but like also I think looking being able to look back and be like seeing how different pieces of media influenced me. Like I reference, uh, oh man, Final Fantasy ten must have been a big deal when I was ten. Like yeah. It was, uh, but I think there's a lot to um, not realizing what you're getting out of media or role playing until you know many years later. Oh yeah, um, the Atticus Hour is over. Thank you for joining me, <laughs> Atticus Hour Bastard. Thanks. Uh, Sky at Genuine No Prize on Twitter asks stuff like Catwoman having a magic soul bonded cat seemed like an odd insp- interpretation of the character. If you can go back and pick a different class for any of the characters, would you? Um. I think John Cena as the hunted was something that was like really fucking good. There was a moment when I was going to play the connected mm. like, and be a different character every episode, like every world we went to, but I like this a lot more. Um, I think my answer to this is no. I like, I, I think everybody fell into the shoes that they were wearing. Yeah. I, I, I picked Atticus's moves around his bullshit, which worked. Um, like that's just like I started with the character, not the book. Um, I can't think of any time like I don't remember what I played Papyrus as. So like maybe him. I didn't really. I don't feel like I did anything with Papyrus. Maybe I could have with a different book. I don't know. I don't. I don't think I do. I think he was the friend or something. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I used. I. I didn't save. Uh, whatever his name was that died. So. Silent, uh, uh, Silent Ferrets asks on the Discord, the music is really good. Can you talk about how you got Wallmaster to approve the use of the music and uh, how you settled on it? 
I'm going to be buying the EP soon because I heard it here. First of all, good choice. Good fucking Hell EP. Yeah. Good fucking EP. It's on Spotify. The EP streaming. rips. Uh, yeah, so the music for season two, all of it except for the elevator music, was uh, from the Phantom EP made by Wallmaster, which um, uh, Dave, Dave, his name's Dave, he uh, is essentially not online. <laughs> so uh, I ended up talking <laughs> to our mutual friend, um, uh, Rob, uh, uh, through like Twitter DMs, because they were, Rob helped on uh, some of the stuff. And I think he made the website too, but, uh, essentially I had an extreme, I had like an all nighter in November of last year. Maybe it was earlier. Uh, and I just hung out with Rob and he was like, Oh, I've been working on some music with Dave. Uh, Rob and Dave were both in a band called random encounter. Uh, the, the band no longer, uh, doesn't, any, does anything, but they were a, um, video game cover band in Orlando fronted by an accordion. And they did a lot of cool stuff when they were playing very good live show. And I, uh, when I, was living in central florida i became friends with them stayed in touch uh dave started making uh this ep and i was like oh yeah i want to commission some stuff for for season two of interstitial uh and rob was like let me i i I should send you some demos or stuff and i sent them the the authority intro message that's in episode one i sent that that was done before we recorded anything like that you made that i had no i like that was before I knew anything about the season. It was just like, it just came to me, and I'm like, oh, this is what the season's about, huh? Yeah, and it, 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 I think it's still good. Like, it's still really poignant after it's over. Uh, but I sent that to Rob, and he was like, you know, that gives me the exact same feeling as this demo. And he sent me a rough version of track three, I think, and I can't remember where I used it in the show. I think it was uh, either the promo or that, that John cut, or it was the fight with Vince. I'd have to double check, but... I was just like, no, this is it. This is the energy of season two. And I essentially just kind of like kept in touch with them, like checking on how the EP was going. And then as soon as it was done, I sent it to the group chat and I was like, this fucking shreds, right? And everyone said yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, definitely check out the EP. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you're, if you're wanting to hear uh, some, some video game covers with an accordion or occasional original music, go check out Random Encounter. You might already know them. They did some songs with like Bruno Floss and shit. So. Um, there was a question that isn't on the list that none of us here are capable of answering, but I just messaged Caitlin. Somebody asked, uh, does, uh, Salem get to ever see Sabrina again? Uh, and I messaged Caitlin and I was like, does he? And Caitlin was like, oh shit. Uh, I want to say eventually yes. And I said, does he stay with her or would he go back with Selena? And, and they were like, I I think he'd get to stay with her. And I was like, damn, sad. Now I'm sad. And Caitlin goes, me too. I think finding a way to let him stay with Sabrina would be Selena's way of paying Salem back for everything. Oh, that's really good. I'm I'm really fucking sad. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know who is next now. I'm very winded by that. (laughs) I just just asked the last question. So that means it's it's me. Uh, And this is a question for you, Wheels. Blueberry B on Twitter asked, uh wheels was there anything that deeply subverted your expectations of what season two would be other than what we've already said yeah so we've already talked about the identity being who they were thing the other answer is just the very fact of riley picking the hunted book uh entirely changed the outline of season two right because yeah sure it was there because now there's an entire additional antagonist uh and 
I think the Nexus and what I did with them is the thing I'm most proud of as a GM in this season. Yeah, I I appreciate it way more after editing the season than I did uh, playing it. Like, now I'm like, oh, fuck. (laughs) Because when you originally described them to me, Riley, and you were like, yeah, they, like, loot these worlds before they're destroyed. I'm like, Mm -hmm. hmm, looting sure is a loaded word, isn't it? Yeah. uh, it's a really, like, it's a really politically loaded word because when some people do it, it's scavenging so that they can survive. And then suddenly if someone with dark skin does it, they're looters and that's terrible. Uh, there's a, there's a lot of racism embedded in that word. And I wanted to, I wanted to show that on screen and to, sh- and that's why I wanted to make sure there was a black person on the, on the Nexus. That's why Donald Glover as Spider-Man's there. Um, I wanted to show like people who were, uh, who that like the political establishment insofar as the authority is that like doesn't approve of their existence um like you like you are rebels like the player characters are like rebels but you are but you are still like the you are still like their chosen people right like you are rebelling from the inside in a lot of senses mm-hmm. so the nexus gave me an opportunity to show people who are not given that privilege and still fight very hard to exist and have to fight harder than you like they don't have all the same access that y'all do um and it was just kind of like uh, and riley kind of handed me an easy way to do that in the nexus Mm -hmm. Uh, and then the whole vince mcmahon stuff um which is some of my favorite parts of the season um wouldn't have happened obviously were not for that yeah i i I don't even know what i would have done if i picked up on it sooner honestly but i think about that a lot (laughs) uh now now that it's you know now that i've edited it's it's, uh, been aired Jsadx on Twitter asks, "What do you see as the biggest thematic similarities and differences between Interstitial AP and Kingdom Hearts, and were they intentional or coincidental?" I think that like the biggest thing in the stuff that I GM'd was the like it doesn't matter if it makes sense that this thing happens next, but if it feels good or feels like mm-hmm. that be emotional, the emo- then that's yeah, what yeah the emotional beast land that's kind of the Kingdom Hearts mo. Mm-hmm. Whether whether that's intentional or not on their end, but I think that's just how I tell stories. Yeah, is like it's Powered just by like the disc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's disconjointed ideas that like come together, but the beats land, and that's all that matters in the end. Yeah, I studied film theory in school. Um, so okay, cool, cool. We, we got a professional over here. <laughs> oh, look at the big uh, shot. <laughs> and there's this idea in film theory that uh, it's from an essay from. Two of the editors of uh, Kaya de Cinema, Kamoli uh, and Narboni, they wrote this essay in the I think the seventies or the sixties, where they essentially make the argument that capitalism works in such a way that when you're making a film, you either uh, because of like just the economics of how films get made, you're either a complete aesthetic and thematic outsider, and you're making something that's actively critical of the established way of storytelling, or you make something in the capitalist system and whether you like it or not, it's going to end up kind of supporting capitalist values because it can only be ma- like, if you're making a Hollywood movie, the incentives of Hollywood mean that you're probably going to be making something that is pro capitalism. And I say all that because I feel like telling a story within kingdom hearts in that we did that in season one kind of necessitated because we're telling a story in kingdom hearts. It's a story that, generally with some exceptions approves of the same things that kingdom hearts approves yeah we we uh i don't i i think the thing about season one that's in line with kingdom hearts is more 
uh, and especially at the end, I, I don't know how much of it is, is true of the first, like, two-thirds. But, like, in the back half, like, Edith's speech at the end, I think uh, that and the stuff that, like, um, I did with Honora, I feel like it uh, boils down to, here's what we got out of Kingdom Hearts' themes. Um, like, like this is this is why I'm attached to Nobodies as a concept, and Roxas and Shion, and sort of getting to paint that brush way more poignantly. Yep, yep, yep. Sky, uh, genuine no prize on Twitter asks for Riley. Are there any mechanics of, or aspects of the game you feel like the players didn't take advantage of? I feel like we really did fucking everything. We made it a concentrated effort to limit break in, in season, season two. two. <laughs> <laughs> we really did, and part of that is just we, I made limit break better. Yeah, but like yeah, why? Like, yeah, that's thing. The first season was a play test, so like season yeah. season two kind of is by default a little more rounded or well rounded. Yeah. The rules changed as we played season one consistently. Yep. You yeah. can see the first season of this podcast's like effect on the game so clearly. I feel like we really fucking did everything. Like we went into the advanced moves. Like we didn't obviously see all of them, but like we saw a lot of them. Yeah. Like we like saw death moves. We saw like I think we saw about everything that I think is like a major factor in the game. The tag system didn't exist then, so we didn't touch that. And yeah. like the original setting was just not not something that we wanted to tell a story in necessarily but like i think we i think the players that played this game in this podcast took advantage of every part of the system to make this podcast as special as it was yeah i feel pretty much the same about that i never used my goddamn link move as atticus but other than that <laughs> chris hutton tofer disgrace on twitter asks comic book fan here Asking who would win in a fight, season one cast or season two cast. I would say two without a fucking doubt. <laughs> We're not counting identity in season two cast. I don't no, think, player, right? player cast, no. player cast. So David Unless Blaine doesn't can... count either. Yep. Um, so Marsh ends up being kind of tough as shit, I think. Like Edith and Enora are both powerful in their own right, but like Marsh and Chris Angel are the big swingers of season one. Whereas in season two, like Sans controls everything. Yeah, season two is a really high power game. Yeah, like, <laughs> John Cena throws a throws Optimus Prime yeah. at Oprah Winfrey. We, 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 I mean, yeah, we we kind of as a group just went bigger with season two. Mm-hmm. But I think also even just if you're like, if you just like say, all right, they're equal power level, but like in terms of just like who would, who would win. Like I think season two is just angrier a lot of the time. So I think like they wouldn't work together. Probably is effectively, but I oh, think, I would think, get the I job think if you better. like, I think if you somehow like did the, if you balance them out to an equal total power mm-hmm. level, like then I think season one wins just because really? that te- that team is more of a family and operates like, mm-hmm. like season two is a family, but season two is also like there's a real sense of like when this is over, maybe I'll never see you again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, whereas season one is like those people will probably stick together forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's something powerful about there's some, there's something that makes it me think that that means season one's crew works better together in a fight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's uh, a fair reading. A, a, another extrapolation of this question is uh, this is not a, if you could, this is if you had to, if literally we were here and it's like, all right, you gotta, you have to move two people you have to switch two characters from season one cast to season two cast they have to switch 
who goes? Like, what characters are now in season two and what characters are now in season one? There's, I mean, there's so many different mm-hmm. ways it could go. Like, if, if Atticus was in season one and, like, Atticus uh, looked at Edith like a daughter. <laughs> uh, oh, wow. Jesus that, Christ. That's my, that's my immediate go-to. Uh, Sans in season one would be good too. Yeah, mm-hmm. I I would love to see uh, Chris Angel in season two with John Cena because like I think the two of them <laughs> fucking I think the two of them like and they're like kind of a little bit like cockiness, a little bit fear of like committing to shit. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I think that they would like I think they would learn a lot from each other. Uh. And then I'm trying to think. I, think... I, I, I I feel like Marsh would just be such a <laughs> Marsh, Marsh would be such sense. a wreck in season two. But I don't know who I would swap him with. Maybe Atticus. What if Chris Angel and Selena Kyle were in the same fucking room? Dad, I don't Dad. think Chris would last very long. No. <laughs> uh, Riley, you want to ask that next que- that last question? Last this one. last question. This last question from Weed Lord Vegeta. Answer me, books on Twitter. What does each PC eat at 2 a.m. on a Thursday when they can't sleep? And I'll tell you that John Cena walks to that fridge, opens up a bag of Colby Jack cheese, and just grabs a handful. (laughs) Puts it right in his mouth. Atticus eats a plain turkey on white bread sandwich. God. No dressing? Nope, nope, just turkey and bread. You know, uh, Chris Angel, he likes to spice it up with Zatarans. Jazz it up with Zatarans. <laughs> he goes into his fridge, pulls out a frozen meal from Zatarans, and warms it up. <laughs> I think, I think Roxanne, like Roxanne and Anora, I think are two different answers. But I know that, like, I, I know that, like, Roxanne has like a, a Roxanne just drinks a beer. <laughs> <laughs> that that too, but like they they do that. Like I think they uh get like food delivery service. Like what the fuck is open? And there's like fuck, some yeah. like skeezy chicken place is open, and they just get like a bunch of chicken delivered to their house at three a.m. Mm-hmm. Yep. David Blaine uses Postmates, but not for anything that Postmates will offer. To be like, go to this address <laughs> and pick this up for me, and they like have to go to like a like kind of nice Italian place. Does David <laughs> like, Blaine tip well? If Chris, because I, like, I don't yeah. think I don't think Chris Angel tips well, so I think no. David Blaine tips well. Yeah, yeah, good, uh, good, uh, good line of thought. I don't. Insofar as identity is my PC in season two, uh, identity exclusively uses Garfield Eats. Yes, <laughs> that's somehow so on brand. Huh. Oh I'm God. To, I, I just want. I, I'm trying to think if there's anything for Nora, but I feel like Nora just goes back to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Nora just has sleep for dinner. Ah, uh, God. Thanks for doing this show with me. Thanks. thanks for thank do- you. Yeah. Yeah. This I'm is really the, proud of what we made. Me too. I think that this is the one of the best things I've ever gotten to create. And Interstitial Same. as a whole would not, might not exist without the two of you in the form Aww. that it does now. Like because I Interstitial got me to meet you two, I think is one of the biggest reasons that like the Kickstarter worked. That I get to still develop games today, and like the two of you are endlessly fucking important to me. And thank you for including me in your patreon without like knowing who i fucking was thank you for like i played your i played your game once and i was just like hey that's a good idea you right? did god i re- i was right just yeah y'all are some of my best fucking friends and i'm so glad to have met you yeah you too too yeah
Oh, I love and you too. So we've come. I knew it was coming. To the ah. end of the road. I'm just gonna. Still I'm just gonna let him have this one. It's unnatural. You belong to me. I belong to you.